Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. All right, recreating in progress, which means we're back. Another episode of Peak Speak. Today we're joined by a very special guest, Angus Bradley. Say hello. Hey, guys. Hello to the fans or maybe the haters. Whoa. Mostly myself. <laughs> I've listened to every single episode so far, so it's a real thrill to be oh, here. Damn. Excellent. That's amazing. Thank every single much. fucking one. Exactly. That's well, more than I've listened to. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Shout out to High Performance Podcast as well. Wait, High Performance Podcast. I always screw that up. I prefer it when people say it wrong because people shit on us in the best ways. Do you know Just Fly Sports? Oh, is that another podcast? That's the one you were on recently? That's like the big SNC podcast. So a bit of a humble brag that I was on it, but people constantly <laughs> refer to our podcast as the poor man's Just Fly Sports. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so, I love that because it's exactly how I see us. Yeah, it's like Perfect. weekly weights is the poor man's peak speak. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so you're in, you're in Sydney fucked up, right? Yeah, yeah. In the hot spot, the hot spot in Sydney. You're doing the fucking up. Uh, well, dude, it's crazy. So if you wear a mask outside in Bondi, people will make funny faces at you. What? Yeah, dude, it's hectic. You guys, it's, have- it's very much a bubble. It's a different kind of people. It, wait, so if you wear masks, as in like people are anti, uh, anti-masks? Yeah, so they had to put a secchi out the front of Woolies because uh, there they're like, you cannot come in. And people are walking in, so they, they put a security guard who will stop you and be like, can you put this on? You need food, put on the mask, please. And like, that's the thing. I think it's like, whatever way you feel about it, it's just someone's job that you need to wear the mask for. It's like, it's more just that where I'm like, come on, do it. Yeah. Fuck, it must be annoying. It's tough as well it's because even- you always feel like a government shill when you're defending it. It's like, no, I hate the government. I just want us to stick together a little bit. Yeah. What were you going to say, Sharon? Oh, it's just, it's also a small fucking price to pay. Like just put a mask on, even if it's a little bit of a risk and just like tolerate being a little bit uncomfortable for a This is a my storming Normandy day. covering my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. We need to give people a little bit of context if they don't know who, who Angus Bradley is. So can you, can you give us uh, an idea of, uh, who you are and what you do. And then maybe we'll talk about some of your history as well. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause that's my thing as well. Like even I'm like, how did I get on this powerlifting podcast? Cause never <laughs> trained a powerlifter. Uh, but and that, that's kind of the thing. Like I just started talking shit on Instagram about human movement in general, like the last two years to 18 months. And I think cause I talk so much shit, people were like, this must be a powerlifting page. Um, so I do have like a fair few powerlifters listening to what I say now which I didn't tell them to listen, but I started talking shit. Naturally, that attracts powerlifters. I should have seen that coming because I am a fan (laughs) of the sport. So it's like kind of this thing where like I do engage with the powerlifters, but I have to be careful as far as positioning myself as an authority on powerlifting because 
like I said, I'm not. Um, as far as just a bit about my background, so always growing up, grow up playing sports, mostly water sports, so surf life saving. I was a swimming squad kid and then surfing competitively all through high school. Uh, started lifting weights towards the tail end of high school. And then because uh, my brother was the sporty kid and I kind of just did a bunch of sport just to sort of hang out with him. Uh, I had actually planned on going to uni. I studied journalism for like four years, but then I kind of realized at the end of that, I was like, oh, you could just be a journalist. Like you don't have to have a degree. You can just start saying things on the internet because kind of the new media model was starting to emerge as I was studying it. So I just didn't find it that helpful as far as pursuing journalism. So then I took a couple of years off to try to become a rock star and pursue music. And then when that didn't work out, the only real thing I had left was like lifting weights. I'd always loved training, always loved sport. And my brother was a personal trainer immediately out of high school. So it was sort of, I just had a really easy sort of natural flow into working in fitness. Yes, yeah, wait. So do you, you coach people now, right? Is it predominantly weightlifting or? Uh, so initially, S&C? so at the time I got into personal training, I was obsessed with weightlifting and I went to work in a commercial gym uh, in the Sydney CBD. So I'm from Wollongong, which is a bit more regional, but you can't really make as much money personal training. And my brother was like, look, if you want to have a shot at making this into a reasonable living, try coming up into the city. It's probably the easiest way to get your business off the ground. So I was training like gen pop, just massacring the gen pop with the barbell. Um, and we were doing pretty good, but like I said, I was always a skinny guy. So I didn't really immediately resonate with the gen pop either who just wanted to get strong. Um, but then plugged away for a couple of years and just sort of built up the business and things like that. And then now sort of eventually started to work with more weightlifters and things like that. But then uh, after the COVID shutdown, I became very frustrated with weightlifting and got back into my old love surfing. And I'm that personality type that likes to ruin all their passions by attempting to monetize them. So naturally now that evolved into coaching surfers. And I felt like that naturally put me on sort of two either ends of the spectrum from a coaching perspective. And then I guess the next 18, the most recent 18 months has just been filling in the blanks between that, starting to work with more field sports athletes, starting to work with um, some like, what do you call it? Like uh, tactical uh, preparation and stuff like that. Work with a few strong men, um, working with a few basketballers, working with baseball players and things like that. I kind of treat my client roster like a deck of Pokemon cards. I just want to have a really diverse and cool roster because I'm just a sports pig. And, and, and that's the thing. Everyone talks about principles, right? You've got to have principles. And I'm like, all right, if we've got the principles, you should be able to be a bit of a generalist, right? Um, Cause that, that's the thing I think I found most frustrating about when you get into PT people are like you've got to just like pick a lane and you've got to be an expert and you've got to stick to that. And I just think that's, there's two conversations going on. There's like, be a specialist, but it's like, oh, but we've got all these principles and you've got to be principle-based. And I'm like, well, what is it? I- I'm just picking principles and sort of trying to be a generalist. Yeah, I, I think that's increasing the, the way I like <clears throat> my mindset to go because I think what being a specialist initially allowed me to do was get an understanding of how principles work in a really narrow environment and then being able to actually take the principles from that fairly narrow niche environment and expand it out into coaching all kinds of other other pursuits. Yeah. A true specialist and a true generalist. It's this two sides of the same coin because 
we all know those things. It's like Louis Simmons is obviously a powerlifting coach, but then he can see powerlifting in everything that he looks at. So it's like you become a bit of a, like there's no way around trying to become a generalist mm. ultimately. It's like the whole idea of being a specialist is a bit of an illusion. Um, what's that Musashi quote? Know the way broadly and you shall see it in all things. It's a bit of a cliche, but I think I believe in it to an extent. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it feels like Nothing I've come- makes you more hardcore than- Sorry. No, you, you go. go, Thomas. I was just going to say nothing makes you more hardcore than quoting warrior quotes in reference to exercise. It's heaps <laughs> cringe if I tell you the context in which I heard that quote initially. Great. Let's hear it. Okay. Yep, so I was I'm back down. in Wollongong. This is when I was really struggling to pay rent as a PT. So I was doing my Sunday meal prep and I was just, I always used to get a little bit blazed before I do my meal prep. So I was walking through Woolies high <laughs> it's as a dangerous a, game. High as a kind of grabbing shit game. off the shelves, <laughs> listening to Joe Rogan talking about, you know, being a generalist. And it was, he said it to Russell Brand, who's also like the biggest pseudo philosopher of all time. But I was just, you know how you've got to be, in the right mood to hear certain things. I was just in the right mood. I was looking for something to latch onto. And it just like, I was sitting there in the supermarket. And I heard him say that, like, know the way broadly and you sh shall see it in all things. And I just instantly went and reflected on this conversation I'd had with my brother, which um, my brother got into sprinting after I got into weightlifting. <clears throat> and I was kind of like, you know, what's the go with sprinting? Like, tell me something I don't know about sprinting. And he was like, oh, you know, you don't like, start the race as quickly as possible like you don't immediately come out of the box everyone thinks that sprinting it's a short race so you've got to start as quickly as possible but he's like what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to establish a rhythm as quickly as possible and i was like fuck me that's the same as weightlifting in the first pool you're not trying to like yank it off the ground you're trying to like build a nice rhythm get the timing learn to when to apply the force and things like that so i was just like oh shit like if you can find such a strong link between a clean or a snatch and a hundred meter sprint or a 60 meter sprint. I was like, I was just looking for something to sum that up. And then when I heard Rogan say that of all people, let's pretend, <laughs> let's pretend I read it out of that Musashi book, book of five rings. That's the thing I remembered what book you read it from. So I could pretend that I read it. Anyway, like I said, that's my whole like principle shtick. I like to be able to look at things and be like, how is this another thing? Like, how is the sprinting? <clears throat> the weightlifting, how can I stay surfing in it as well? Because like, at least what I've managed to convince myself over the last year or so is like, there's so much more, the more and more you look at them and you could say it's confirmation bias, but it's like, it's useful, I think at times to be reductionist and boil everything down. And, and then hopefully what you're left with is those principles. I think it really forces you to build skill in your own in your own systems that are based around these principles. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. I think the best it's thing testing is testing it, right? It's like you can say yeah. you have the principles, but until you step outside the lane, you just don't know. I think my favorite thing about what you just said was that Russell Brand's a pseudo philosopher because I get really pissed off with people who are like, you got to hear this guy, man. You got to hear what he has to say, man. It like, comes across great on Instagram, but when you can hear the guy talk for an hour, you're like, oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I think that I think that segues nicely into um, uh, how do I put this in a politically correct manner? Um, the the Don't. new the new age Instagram fitness superstar seems to be the the skinny guy that doesn't lift weights and has opinions broadly <laughs> on everyone and basically just pisses everyone off, but is like uh, doing so with this like 
overarching umbrella of truth that people just failed to accept. And I feel like you fit bro- uh, strongly into that category and I fucking love it. Thank you. That's all I want to be. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I love the idea of like, I, I really do love all the powerlifting stuff. And, and the thing that really held me back in weightlifting was just my inability to eat, not my inability to fucking know where to put the bar and, you know. So like this, I think this was the first thing that caught my, caught my attention. I think um, maybe Jamie shared it ages ago. Uh, that's how I found out about you. you you'd started a conversation around uh, the back squat and weightlifting. Mm. And like had, I remember you, you rustled many jimmies with that conversation. And I guess like what I want to talk about is this idea of finding that middle ground of having a really good understanding of movement, having these principles and having a really fresh perspective on something that is just absolutely uh, being peppered with bias and with dogma over the years, like powerlifting, like weightlifting. Weightlifting, yeah. Um, like, how do you go with having those discussions with people? Because I'm sure anytime you post anything like that, you get 20 people in the DMs, like, you got like the crying face meme behind the mask and like, you can't mm. say that. Uh. Yeah. But if you keep saying it and you enter enough different domains, you start finding more people who are in different sports who've been told similar things about movement that when you compare it to what's actually happening isn't really the case. So like with the back, there are a bunch of weightlifters who feel this, right? People don't, people can implicitly understand things before they explicitly know it. There are a bunch of weightlifting athletes, I believe, who implicitly understand that the back squat just doesn't really click for them, but they can't articulate it. Now that I've started to look at what I think is like, you know, functional human movement and looking at what the body's trying to do, I can kind of see how a lot of people's natural structure and natural tendencies just don't gel with the back squat. So it's like, it's not that you can't back squat and be a good weightlifter. We've seen a lot of it, but people will say you have to back squat. But then we know we have seen weightlifters who don't back squat. So how do we reconcile it and how do we save these poor weightlifters who are watching people who train with only front squats and then they talk to their coach and they're like, that's not happening because that's literally what happens in weightlifting. Weightlifting is weird. The way I see it, there's like four or five distinct styles depending on what country or system you're from. And every single one of those coaches in those systems is like, this is the only way. And everyone just ignores, we have to put the blinders up, Uh, but it's just this accepted thing. And it's like, it's the same in track and field. Like the the link between track and field and weightlifting is the myth of triple extension and how necessary that is. But like the best sprinters don't triple extend. A lot of the best weightlifters don't triple extend. And so it's just like, like I said, once you start talking to these weightlifters, then you get a couple of the weightlifters who are like, ah, the, 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 dogmatic technical model doesn't work for me and you just start collecting all those people and and that's the thing because a lot of the technical models are developed of people who are built for the sport as well but we all know that different body shapes at times become those exceptions to the rule but the way they're handled by good coaches typically is they just sort of ignore parts of their technical model and make allowances but we do not have a systematic way of diversifying our technical model so that we can help these weird outliers double down on their strengths. And that's where I see value in this stuff as well. Reconciling their feelings, allowing them to double down on their strengths rather than just being like, hey, mate, some people are built different. Try whatever. Let's not be dogmatic because the value in dogma, where it helps, you need dogma for something to believe in. Like why it works to have your coach be like, you need back squats is because if you can brainwash yourself, the back squats are the secret to weightlifting success is probably not that bad and it's not such wrong information that it's going to prevent you 
from elite success in weightlifting. So like I said, it's like, I do claim to be anti-dogma, but now it's like, that's one of my own beliefs that I'm trying to challenge. Like, I'm like, yeah, dogma. It's like, we've all seen how productive like religious people can be. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question for you then. Um, I've always felt that uh, the NFL combine, like the, the bench test, the NFL's really, really, really hyper-focused that trickles then down to Australian SNC, they're hyper-focused on like snatches and clean and jerks as part of strength and conditioning. Yep. I've always just felt it was super fucking weird to include those things as measures of anything. Here's where I'm, where I'm sympathetic to it. If you've talked to people in pro sport, it's just like, um, you have to have something to show people in numbers yeah. wise. So it's like, it's in that sense, it's like a lot of coaches probably are aware that strength isn't the answer, but again, it's in their interest to ignore it because then they also have to rely on just better communication with their boss to explain how they're being productive. But, you know, have you heard James Smith, the thinker, he talks about the issues with the way pro sports organizations are structured. There's just these breakdowns in communication. So people aren't actually able to communicate specialist information. So they just fucking make shit up and come up with weird KPIs and you end up everyone's not really unified with an understanding and a vision of like how these systems could operate whereas he sort of thinks that um he uses like a kitchen metaphor because kitchens have been around a little bit longer than pro sports teams as far as like a structure that actually works whereas what's unique about kitchens and why they're so successful is by the time you're a head chef you've been a dish pig sous chef assistant chef head chef and so by the time you're head chef you can empathize and understand and receive specialist information from your like let's say allied health professionals if you want a metaphor from the fitness industry whereas a fitness industry or a pro sports team it's like everyone's in their own little camps everyone's like staying your fucking lane because i don't want you actually knowing that i can't do my job and but then once you drain the swamp and you actually come up with a system that operates a little bit more like a kitchen and not like a pro sports team or the current allied health model that we have then it's like all of a sudden you're in a, a, a place where like principles can flourish like a kitchen and like what i'm doing in my mentorship right now is like uh, the guy i keep referencing is marco pierre white for a guy who is legitimately like the yeah. ray dalio of fucking food yeah. he he could write a book <laughs> principles and just I don't know what his cookbook's called, but yeah, that guy's an absolute fucking weapon. Yeah. I've um, been listening to a couple of podcasts recently with uh, athletes outside of powerlifting uh, and specifically a couple of mountain bikers and then a couple of other uh, like high performance athletes. And the common theme around the coaching aspect is these people who are reporting to a head coach or to a, you know, a program manager or whatever it is. And they're in a position where they have to put forth an annual plan and the, all the coaches are like, well, this is fucking stupid. Anyway, hmm. what I'm going to do is put forward this 12 month plan and then follow none of it. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and show that the results come in the form of competition results and things like that. And I feel like with the combine and with a bunch of other things that are like, oh, we need a measurable justification for how we do our job. And especially in the pro sports arena, where actually like the vast majority of your do job is don't fucking hurt the athletes. Yes, being able to being able to show that on paper is really hard because sometimes they just fucking get hurt anyway. But if you've got like, oh yeah, well he might have got hurt, but his vertical went up an inch. Like that's fucking. There's my paycheck for the year. And the other thing you see on Instagram, they're like, oh, don't you see that coach made him do a 500 pound bench? It's like no, his babysitter let him do a 500 pound bench. <laughs> yeah, that guy's a yeah. beast. Like he's not in there doing bench small off be like oh how do i get this bench up so i could be a better footy player he like if you're just that one percent or one percent it's just like you yeah. just see those things and that's what starts to happen when you 
a lot of these people, the way they talk about like how much muscle you need and like how heavy you need a lift. It's like, have you ever been around these athletes or have you just seen them in the gym once? Have you ever seen anyone through that complete long-term athletic development cycle where you're just like, oh, this guy's training like an athlete, just jumping around, playing a, a aerobic sport like rugby, and he's just put on 15 kilos of pure contractile tissue in the last year. It's just like some people are just a bit different. Mm. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of athletes like that who are just f- going to be good at fucking whatever they do. Like David Pocock. Is- oh man, as, talk- as a lifelong rugby tragic, he is the like he's so he's a Canberra dude. I see him at like cafes and stuff occasionally. Every time, Bro. several years out of rugby, I'm like, God damn it, Dave! Like you've fucking ruined the male physique for anyone. Do you know Ed Jenkins? Because I, me and my brother refer to him as real life Superman. He was captain of the Aussie Sevens, <laughs> and I see him getting around the eastern suburbs every now and then. And I'm like. He looks like he's just made up. Like, it's fucking yeah. insane. And I see the way yeah. he trains and I'm like, I'm like, how are you not like a full-time body? It's so hard to believe. So I don't know any of these people, so I'm Googling them. And Ed Jenkins definitely looks like Superman. Oh, my God. Yeah, phenomenal, Rick. <laughs> he was the one who, uh, he had the viral videos of him doing just the silly razor curls and Nordics. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I definitely saw that. And I talked to him <laughs> yeah. about lifting weights. I'm like, you know, Matt, you're, you're lifting heavy at the moment because he gets a break from rugby every now and then. He's retired now. He's just like, oh, just a little bit. I'm like, how much are you lifting? He's just like, oh, yeah, a little bit. Like, I'm like, nah, come on. He's like, oh, 240 on the trap. I'm like, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, uh, in the same vein as the combine question, I guess, from the outside looking in, what do you think powerlifters and powerlifting coaches fuck up the most? Um, just how the body moves and then making up assumptions based on how it looks like force is produced without acknowledging maybe certain patterns in general athletic movement that are used to produce force. And then there's some things that are seen occurring while while force production is occurring. And they're like, no, but that's a mistake. So it's much the way that I compare it to like, you know, Usain Bolt's head wiggle. People like, oh, he's trying to move in a straight line. How is that head wiggle productive? It's a mistake. If you could fix the head wiggle, he'd be faster. But if you actually, actually understand human movement outside of sprinting, you'd realize what he was doing. He's just centering himself and allowing him to compress better on each side. So a lot of people think that that's energy leakage when they see a little bit of knee inward movement towards the midline on the ascent of a squat. But if you understand how the human body generally produces force, you'd understand that adduction internal rotation just are usually coupled with hip extension and compression. And and what we're going to see when that occurs nicely through the chain is probably some pronation at the foot, which again is going to challenge some ideas about how force is produced for a lot of strength athletes. Because what do we hear? Tripod foot, tripod foot, tripod foot. But all you're doing, if you really supinate your foot, is creating a house of cards. Because like you can't pronate a foot twice. So if you're worried about that arch coming down, start with it down because you have fuck all chance of keeping it up with any respectable amount of weight. And we can also, if you would like, talk about good knees in versus bad knees in, which could be an oversimplification. But I think there are a lot of people who are kind of, they're like, yeah, I know what you mean. I see a little bit of the wiggle, but then why do we see some people with the big swinging knee in and mm-hmm. it looks yeah. a little bit gross? So yeah, like uh, what I what I would have followed up what you just said with is then um, where do you start to rationalize the range? Like, you know, the, the thing that I always find hard with having discussions when I'm doing mentoring is like, 
Um, you don't want to say just do whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's got to be ranges. There's got to be gold standards of of things. There's got to be gold standards of principles at some stage uh, for to 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 teach a principle principle based model. So, like with something like that, that that specific example, you're saying at you know at some stages there's going to be pronation, internal rotation, adduction, which is going to be okay. Where do you draw draw the line and start to say this is true power leakage or this is an issue? This is um, turning the wheel too far in the other direction. I just want to make a blanket statement. I don't talk about injuries. I just pretend they don't exist. Let's talk about, and I, I think you guys are pretty similar. Like, obviously, yeah, we don't absolutely. want to do anything stupid. Um, from a performance perspective, it's just when I talk about this stuff, people love to rope me in as a, I'm telling people they're going to get injured. I just no, don't no, talk no. about injuries. Um, only performance. That's all we're talking about wait, right now. Cool. That's my only caveat. Yeah. So what's like productive knees in and then maybe compensatory knees in where it's like you're going extra knees in because you're not getting something else. Let's talk about, I guess, what we want to see and how pronation works out well. So when that foot flattens out, that's what helps you push into the ground. It gives you a nice stable thing that can't collapse. You've got big surface area to push into. So if you have a look at all the bones in the foot, to get them to drop down, you'll see that they kind of spread out in a way where that foot would have to internally rotate. That shin bone would have to rotate towards the midline on top, atop it, like subtly as it's traveling forward. So, and to get that to occur, you kind of need the knee to head towards the big toe. And that's how you get a nice even flattening of the foot. And that's when you'll see they'll go down. The knee might head out towards second or third toe. As soon as they apply force and turn it around, knee will come in towards the big toe. So we see inward movement, but we do not see a full-blown collapse. Where the knee continues to swing in is where people are unable to pronate and open up the forefoot, often I find, or get the calcaneus, the heel bones to roll forward because a lot of people just have messed up feet. I'm not saying you need to burn your shoes, but you probably have messed up feet. So what you will see is compensatory internal rotation, basically, is the, the heel bone rolling inward because it's just trying to push into the ground, right? It's back in on the outside edge. You want it to roll forward and in slightly if we're working in the sagittal plane. But that energy leakage, you get extra compression in the frontal plane because you're unable to roll the calcaneus forward usually. And it just keeps going up the chain. There could be top-down aspects of it, but it's essentially a chicken or the egg scenario. Mm -hmm. I think you can manage it all from the foot. So good pronation is where you let the foot flatten out, you relax that big toe, let the knee head towards the big toe. What causes that big swing in that looks gross, ugh, is when you fight the pronation, you slam the big toe down and your body's like, mate, I'm going to pull the trigger in a second. You need to push into the ground, relax your toe. And you're like, nah, 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 nah. I'm going to keep all the tension and not relax the front of my foot at all. It's like, fuck you. I'm going to produce force. So it dumps the calcaneus in, knees swing in. You produce a shit ton of force. You make the squat. Someone leaves a nasty comment on your Instagram post about it. Oh, PR doesn't count because your knees came in. And it's like, and they're kind of right. Maybe it was some bad knees in action, but it was probably like what saved your squat. There you go. I like so much of this. Sorry, Thomas, go. No, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm just glad you have, you have a standard to attach to the, to the first comment. Cause I feel a lot of people are starting to learn these movement models that we know where they've all trickled down from uh, and don't fully understand the model, don't fully understand the application of the model and then don't have these standards around them. And so when you're trying to coach, if you don't have a standard to reflect back to you, you're literally doing what people did 10 years ago and saying, push your knees out just cause. 
just because yeah. knees in this yeah. bad. Let your knees come in. How far? Just don't, you need internal rotation. Just fucking stop pushing them out. It's like it's yeah. exactly. Or the it's same like thing more knees in means more force production. And it's just like, is a squat only about force production, or is it also about not falling over? Because <gasps> the human body, when it produces a lot of force, it does it best falling forward. Mm. So it's like this idea that it's like a oh, we want to rely on natural force production. It's like, you're in a powerlifting competition. You're so far outside the context of what is truly natural movement. I say in inverted commas, it's just like, that's going to change things. No, there's heaps of natty people in powerlifting. Um, Sherry, what were you going to say? I was going to say almost exactly what you said, actually, uh, that I feel like so much of this comes from like a, a place of dogmatic views about how things should be done. And now we've all learned these more advanced models. And exactly like Thomas said, it's yeah. just swung back the other way. Well, but it's like uh, people and are so the much of dogma. <laughs> yeah. So much of like what I've thought about over the last couple of years while trying to organize my thoughts in a way that's productive to be able to teach someone to think in the ways that I'm thinking about coaching and training and stuff has been like, fuck, how do I actually justify that and go down a massive rabbit hole of figuring out why I did that thing or why I describe it like that only to learn that maybe that was a dumb idea in the first place. And like, yeah. maybe I've just had to completely change some aspect of what I was thinking about because it turns out, yeah, I'd just been justifying it as a like, I don't have a standard to attain there, but close enough is good enough. Or like there's one standard, right, in strength sports. There's like a lot of people have this idea of like there's one way that they, not you, but that people often coach yeah, a yeah. squat. Um, and I think that if we look outside strength sports, the answers are already actually there in other sports with this to an extent. Have you guys heard much about hip-dominant or knee-dominant bowlers or hip-dominant, knee-dominant javelin throwers or... Um, Oh, what's another sport? I can't actually remember. Even like I'm talking to some basketball guys at the moment. They're like, uh, there's kind of like two different kinds of basketball players. Some guys play tall, some guys play low uh, sort of thing. And I think what I like about this wide ISA, narrow ISA stuff is I think it can be expanded and mapped out into two overlapping but distinctly different and coachable and systematic technical models that we could introduce into strength sports. So it's something I'm trying to sort of introduce to a lot of weightlifters at the moment, this idea of being hip dominant or knee dominant. And don't get me wrong, that is just a dogma of itself being like, you're a knee dominant guy, you're a hip dominant guy, but it's better than just being like, you're a powerlifting guy. It's like, okay, well, we've we got two guys now. It's like, we can diversify it further later. Let's just get people into this habit of using two technical models and acknowledging that there's definitely more than one way and we can be systematic about it. And then maybe we can be like, all right, now here's all these other technical models we can introduce based on the people in front of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it almost ends up being like an organizational flow chart, right? If you do it well, it should all sort of filter out of those one or two initial pieces that... Uh, you know, like almost beautiful in their simplicity that then mm. it, upon digging deeper into you become further and further into a very complex rabbit hole of yeah. minutia that if you don't understand the overarching part of that simplicity, then the rest of it makes no sense. Because people live in this utopian fantasy land where they're like, no, just individualize it. Like don't be systems based. And it's just like, fuck, good luck employing anyone and just be like, hey, just use critical thinking, bro. It's just like, fuck, your organization's going to be a mess. Like, <laughs> how's that going to work in pro sport? And like, don't get me wrong, like people get too adhered. It's just the systems are shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do believe that we can improve systems and like people who are going to think critically, like they'll always save themselves. Just mm. spray Kool-Aid everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you said um, 
you know you know people are people are the issue uh with with dogma you know because uh, you, th- you think of think of religion the thing of religious dogma you think if we could all live a little bit more like what the bible tells people to live like or israel for uh, what Buz- buddha tells us to live <laughs> like or whatever, whatever, I, I, you know? sorry i don't want to talk out to but i believe he didn't he swap religions one point and he's been pretty dogmatic with both of them oh, he I said, don't know. sorry yeah. maybe not i don't want to speak out to but like you, we've seen it in other people right they go from one system to another yeah, system yeah. and it's like they're like the system was the problem but then you're like oh yeah well like you know here you are again <laughs> when i when i came onto your podcast last we were talking about um i think we were talking about pat davidson's stuff and i hadn't heard or seen anything from him directly i'd only seen from other people then the week yeah. after i i um watched the rethinking the big patterns the second one and then the week after that i started mentoring with him for like i don't know a few months and it's like once i actually spent heaps of time talking to him presenting my model hearing his model going back and forth on all this stuff a good faith exchange of ideas yeah I'm like, an, an echo chamber dare i say a big oh. filthy unproductive circle jerk all right, go, Echo Chambers, hit it. My musical background leads me to think that ideas just never get off the ground without Echo Chambers. The Echo Chamber is the womb for ideas, right? It's not ready to be challenged yet. You need a bit of a circle joke to get people believing in themselves because all these critical thinkers, they never post anything on Instagram. You've got to hang out in a safe space privately, get the idea, get some momentum, get some believers. You know what I mean? People who believe in it, people are going to spread it. And then they get out of the womb and the, the idea is more robust. It can handle the challenges. But a lot of these embers in the fitness industry, because everyone's trying to be a critical thinker in the evidence-based era, they're like, you've got to be your own biggest critic and you've got to be thinking, how the fuck am I wrong? And like most critical thinkers do that reflexively. You don't need to program it into yourself and you can't. Like, so the echo chain, but you can't live in it forever, okay? You don't want to have a 25-year-old in the womb. That's the problem. <laughs> um, Just I mean, give, me some, give me some time in the womb with my precious ideas. And that's what I'm really thankful for, people such as yourself, Tom, and people who work in pro baseball, pro basketball, and, and, and elite weightlifting who are like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, I think, I don't actually think you're right, but I think there might be something to what you're saying versus these uni students who haven't coached fucking anyone or maybe they brought someone to their local powerlifting meet, won a fucking silver, calling me an idiot. It's just like, yeah, people who are up there, they understand the value in the echo chamber to a point. I feel like peak speaker is just our echo chamber. I do 100%. But how good is it? Without a doubt. (laughs) That you're comfortable around each other enough to challenge each other from a loving place. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's um, a really interesting look at like looking, if you look back over your Instagram content, some would say you lean a little heavily on the divisive angle, um, which I think is increasingly <laughs> the way to do Instagram really effectively, right? And not in a really bad way. Like, I don't mean that as a criticism, but people it's see- like, what do you want me to do? Post something about, hey, no one look at this, no one like this. I hope you all disagree. Catch you later. That's how people <laughs> expect you to use Instagram. But like the other thing is people are the people that see people like you doing it and read it on the surface level as you just being a cunt and trying to start arguments with other people about it and just so you can okay boomer them and then get blocked. Um, (laughs) But that felt so. But yeah, I know it it made me laugh so hard. Anyway, um, but people see people like you doing that and then want to do the same thing without actually having 
an understanding that's deep enough to recognize the context and be able to have this very divisive opinion and then be like, actually, no, I understand every caveat that makes this relevant to almost every aspect of things. It's just a fucking excellent catch line on this Instagram post. Yeah. People are sympathetic enough to the fact that when they were doing their dumb sports science degrees, I was also studying newspaper journalism. So I know how to construct a fucking headline. <laughs> it's called the inverted pyramid. Given the spiciest take up front, you're welcome. I was, yeah, I like, I appreciate it so much because I don't ruffle, I don't rustle Jimmy's very often, but when I do, I put so much thought into the words to make sure that it can be just confusing enough to piss everyone off, but clear enough to be like, hey, you've misinterpreted this. And I watch you do it every time. And I'm like, fuck, this guy's good. I love it. But also I think people do it naturally as well. And that's why it's hard to communicate. A lot of people don't know why they're good writers and things like that. And people don't know how to create their own voice and things like that. And people don't even understand that there is actual timing to punctuation. Like there is like people read stuff and they don't respond to the punctuation and they don't even know it, but there is like the same as the musical notes. They are indicative of a certain amount of the bar being taken up. There is like a systematic difference in the timing between like a full stop, semicolon, comma and shit like that. And like those things like will help people read things in your voice. So like if anyone feels like they're trying to do hot takes and they're not sticking, hit me up for some writing lessons and I can help you is what I'm saying. But like I said, like people like you, Tom. If this like, isn't business diversification. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. This is amazing. Um, all right. Let's talk about pissing people off on Instagram then. Um, I've just been doing it since day five. Me and my brother walked into Fitness First Wollongong and people are like, who the fuck are these skinny cunts? People are never going to listen to what they say about exercise. And at this point, I was under 70 kilos and I've been lifting weights for three years and that put the biggest fucking chip on my shoulder. And now we're here. <laughs> and now we're here where like, if now I- Now you just- do, Now we're here where I've lost 10 cunt. kilos of muscle in the last year and I can say something about athletic development and Kasem feels like he has to respond. And I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that's that's the absolute brilliance of it. It's like th- he felt so passionately about it. You know, this guy with his cult following and like felt felt so passionately about some my threat to him with his biceps. I was maybe <laughs> some guy down in Bondi doing his thing. Um, well, and what I'm like is like, should I just do steroids? Like, I'd be even more of a problem <laughs> if I was actually big and strong. Like, <laughs> the ego, the ego would go through the roof. It would be amazing. Oh, and that's what I mean. Skinny people. Sorry, only big guys should do gear. Little people, it's they can't wield the sword. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't jab your way out of a skinny mindset. I've accepted that. You see people who've tried, and it's like big muscle bound, but with the brain of a skinny man. And then when they call me skinny, I'm like, it's you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So if, if I don't know if you can still see it on your page, but if anyone missed it, uh, an Instagram, uh, he's not a star, an Instagram an influencer. influencer. <laughs> Uh, took some stabs at at Angus. Uh, he's a very in, in, insecure influencer. He likes to take stabs at everyone. I like the lat stuff. The lat stuff's really creative. It's just funny that shit's on PRI because if you ask a PRI guy or one of his guys how to use a lat, they'd be like, "Oh, you just wrap it around the rib cage, right?" So how much? How much of this? You know, because you you're quite vocal about all these different models. Um, so mm. you've obviously done extensive research into them. Have you have you ever done any of the actual courses, like paid to sit through the courses or anything <laughs> like that? No. 
<laughs> so that was the other thing. Um, my first like three years of PT, I was really, really battling, like just couldn't build my business. And people was like, well, you got to uh, learn more to earn more and you got to do all these courses. But I just couldn't find anyone who like really seemed that smart or any good courses to do. So um, all the people I wanted to talk to weren't flogging systems. So I just did the classic starter podcast and then, <laughs> and that's sort of what got the ball rolling. And then I'm just, like I said, just a real big sports pig. I watch a lot of sport and then, yeah. So who who have you been who have you been your biggest influences in this space then? Um so currently I guess in terms of the model like what I'm going through in the mentorship group at the moment the main models that I like to outline everyone knows I'm super high on Bill Hartman and his whole compression and expansion thing which I kind of see as an analog for gait and breathing and then I think that that fleshes it out to now where you're dealing with a realistic and really complex model but we know that complex and real uh, true information isn't always the most useful so then for a model that sort of reconciles things with the mechanical model which I find really useful I love a Darian Barr who's quite an eccentric uh, track and field coach and sort of he only, uh, this is a massive oversimplification of his message, but one of the things he's into is like he just coaches sprinting through the shin angles. And I think anyone who really understands gait can sort of see how in a complex task, you just give them one thing to think about the shin angle and then let's uh, and give them a task and then let self-organization run the show. Uh, so then we've got now a model where it's like, it's based off the mechanical model. You're just talking about shin angles and levers, which again, in this realistic model, we think doesn't exist. Uh, but now we've got this model that's like, you just doesn't matter what sport it is. You can just focus on the shin angle and that'll tell you whether you're in the yielding phase or an overcoming phase. So that's essentially force absorption and production. And that's just all movement. So like, I, f- I feel like I did a heaps bad job of explaining why I like the Adarian <laughs> Bar model because it's, I think it's, it's the most uh, not actually real representation of what the human body is, but it's a really easy way to coach it. I think something that will click with a lot of people is a lot of people have been like, yeah, we see the compression and expansion in the human body but how is that useful for the athlete? Mm. And I agree. Like when I'm coaching, I, I see the compression and expansion. That's all I'm thinking about all the time. But I don't say to my athlete, like I want you to compress at the ankle joint uh, when you're going down this squat and then I want you to expand here and compress here. I'm just sort of giving them cues based off the mechanical model, which I know are actually realistic, but I can translate the information through that so that's why it's useful to have both of these models right because we keep hearing this thing of like why do we need new words to describe things that already exist um but it's like sometimes you start to understand things better and then you can go back and name them in hindsight hmm. yeah. have you have you that's, read um anti-fragile by nasim taleb I have no, I haven't. It's so, a, I've heard of it. There's a bit in Homer's Odyssey or whatever where the guy's sailing across the ocean, and like the ancient Greeks didn't have a word for blue, um, so he just called it the wine dark sea. But then, like, obviously now we have a word for blue, and calling something the wine dark sea because he was sailing across it at night, right? So you can imagine how it just looked like dark wine if you don't have a word for blue. But you can see how it's just like once you understand things a bit better, the ways you can describe them start to get a bit more sophisticated. And like, that's why it's useful to have all these different models. Because again, it's like understandings change, perspectives change, who you're talking to changes. So being able to switch between all these different models, whether it's a really realistic and accurate model that might not be useful or a really unrealistic model that's hyper useful when you're just coaching an athlete that doesn't actually understand human movement, that sort of. Hmm. I think that's one of the biggest issues I've seen with the 
crowd of people who have got heavily into the Bill Hartman, Pat Davidson end of things is they start spouting off this model in a way that they assume should make sense to the people they're talking to. Like it becomes this pissing contest on Instagram about how effectively you can describe things as compression and expansion like to other coaches who some of which barely know what the Can fuck I you're be talking about. As and a in- skinny guy, I really get a kick out of alienating fitness professionals. I don't like alienating the gen <laughs> pop, but I think I'm just giving personal trainers a little bit of what they give the gen pop because they're like, why can't you just say flexion and extension? I'm like, well, your client doesn't know those terms anyway, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it, man. I think being out, like you said it before, being able to translate these ideas into actionable approaches to exercise is actually the real skill set that mm. these models don't teach you. And like, you can learn every fucking model. You can take someone else's Kool-Aid and start drinking it, but until you actually and use it understand it. Yeah. And until you actually understand the constituent parts of that and you can explain how it's all put together and why that person should actually give a fuck about any of it and why they can't just lift some fucking weights, then I Mm. think it's kind of useless. And that's the thing. It's just like at a certain point, if you really want to shut someone up, all my biggest like satisfactions from shutting people up have come off the back of these moments of like, all right, fuck it. Let me really see what he has to say. Hmm. But if you really want to prove someone wrong, you're like, all right, give it, give it, give me the full shtick. Give me the full pitch, mate. Hit me with it. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, we might, we might look at uh, wrapping things up before we ask every guest a few questions at the end of the podcast. Before we do that, where can people find you and follow your stuff and, and see you roast other fitness professionals? Uh, it's Angus Bradley 92 turning 29 this year. So I might actually take the year I was born out of my Instagram bio. We'll see if it can just be Angus Bradley soon. Uh, you can also find me at Surfing Fundamentals uh, if you're interested in improving surf performance, uh, which you're probably not. Uh, and High Performance <laughs> Podcast is if you want to hear me give a little bit more context to some of my hot takes on the gram. That's where I talk me and my brother for a little bit longer about fitness and sporting ideas. And just real quick, what is the, um, what is the mentorship program that you're now offering? Uh, the, it's in its first intake at the moment. So that will be wrapping up in three weeks. And then second intake will be, uh, opening up in September and it's going to kick off in October and it is going to be limited. So applications are technically open, but it'll definitely fill up. So if you want to get in early, you can, if you listen to this and write me an application, I'll be heaps more keen on taking people who know Thomas Lilly. And what, and what do you mean? Um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, what what are you actually teaching in the mentorship program? And so it's just no business advice at all. Uh, we just go four to five weeks of just really focusing on uh, biomechanics and using it as a lens of movement for breathing, gait. I go over all my personal principles that underpin my model. Then we go over all the different models that have gone into my model, such as all this, uh, the compression expansion, the shin angle stuff. Uh, a little bit of BPS stuff. And then we obviously go through programming assessments and stuff like that. But it's not that whole, like, here's how to structure your business kind of mentorship. It's pretty much just, here's how the body works. Here's how to train different people. And then the last two weeks is like trying to come up with a little bit of a product. Mm -hmm. So you can just, because what I like about coming up with the product is trying to make yourself redundant with a little spreadsheet, which I think can be alarming for a lot of people. (laughs) What were you going to say, Sharon? I am. I just love the fact that you're a little bit successful in the fitness industry and you've decided not to go the route of pretending you know how to make <laughs> business decisions for other people. They've been my great. nemesis since day one. 
just like the business coaches. Cause I was always struggling to pay rent and they're like, just learn how to overcome objections. And I was like, no, you just need to be good at training people. And I was failing for so long off that argument. And now that I've got a bit of momentum with it, I'm like, yeah, see, you don't need to overcome objections. You just need to sell to people who want it. Exactly. Yes. And actually sell something worth selling. Yeah. All right. Now the arduous task of remembering what our fucking questions are. Um, question one. Uh, if you could have dinner with anyone and pick their brain, they have to be alive right now. Who would it be? Can I have two people? Yes. Uh, Trent Reznor. That's a contra- controversial answer, Thomas. I don't know that we've ever. No, had no. Oh fuck. Uh, I can, I think I'll go Trent Reznor still. Who's that? The singer of Nine Inch Nails. Oh, he's jacked. And that's on me because so I don't know if he lifts weights, but I want to talk to him about lifting weights because he has won a Grammy and an Oscar. What did he win an Oscar for? Uh, he scored The Social Network. Really? Dude. And he also scored Bird Box and then was like, I did a shit job. I just got paid heaps of money. He's so fucking, <laughs> he's just, as a musician, I was always like so happy when anyone showed me any attention. So the idea that there's these musicians who are like crushing it and giving everyone the bird like that. I, it's just otherworldly to me. And then also to be like selling heaps of CDs, scoring movies and just people being like, this is good shit. Like I, cool. I'll just look up to that guy so much as someone who like probably understands a few principles. What, what would be your second choice or who sorry, would be your second choice? Um, uh, I forgot that they have to be alive. I was going to say Jaco Pistorius, but I would just go Fleet. Okay from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers because yeah. I was a bass player and he was just like, he's Jesus to bass players. <laughs> yeah, I can say that. Uh, second question. I don't know if it's actually the second question, but it's the first one that I remember. Uh, what's an opinion that up until sometime in the relatively recent future, uh, di- recent past, sorry, that you were like, draw a fucking line in the sand. This is my shield I die on. And you have since perhaps changed said view. Uh, I was really into phasic structure. Um, and just a lot of just that programming was something that was scientific in nature, uh, which, and you can take a scientific approach to it. But the, as far as like scientific meaning, like, I guess, certain inputs leading to predictable outputs because I think that's something that science implies especially in our really feeble evidence-based understanding in fitness uh and then now I've sort of realized that programming is mostly about not doing dumb shit but I think Will Berkman kind of describes as just a periodization is a means to an end it's not like a actual facilitator of the progress it's just like you have to organize it right so don't be a dickhead about it Mm, don't also don't read research about it (laughs) <laughs> oh, but I do, but like, fucking, you know. Yeah, that's a whole nother fucking podcast topic. Um, the next one is favorite lifting memory or coaching memory of lifting because we've only ever had coaches and lifters on here. Yeah, uh, so, I can give you one of those. Well, if you can yeah, give us one of those or, <laughs> or more generally like favorite sporting memory of yourself. Oh, I got um, third in the juniors uh, one year at Sandon Point Board Riders and I just like, I don't know. I just was never really that good at sport growing up, but then I just really, really tried with surfing. And it was the first time where I got better at my brother at a sport and actually like had a piece of hardware to show him. And Sandon Point, it's just like, it is a bit of a a known break. And it was like, cool. The idea that's like, all right, Sandon Point, like I'm one of the guys there who's like, you know, just not a complete piece of shit. Cause it was a really toxic local scene where, yeah. Anyway, I was super proud of that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, and then do you want a lifting memory? Because like, yeah, go. Who, it was when I, so it was when I first started to not be a complete idiot about my training. I was just like, oh, you know, this is when I got into phasic structure, not just sending it every time I went into the gym. And I deadlifted 220 kilos at like 72 kilos body weight. And I was like, there can't be many people stronger than this. Cause it was the first time in my life I lifted a weight that I didn't even think I'd ever be able to lift. And then I went home and I Googled, I was like, what's the world record for the deadlift in my weight class. And then I never took up powerlifting. Seventy is fucking huge. But it was just, it was funny how I was like, seriously, like this might be close. Like I knew it wasn't the world record, but I was like, it can't be much more than this. <laughs> That's awesome. Which that what's uh, 70 for- kilos was that um, Chris Yip from Melbourne? I think he pulled yeah, 350. Pulled 350, <laughs> 360. Yeah, something wild. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. How do you feel uh, being a big so unit that- with the deadlifting? Do you feel like is muscle a problem for deadlifting? Which I wouldn't know. I don't to? have enough muscle. Because I'm fucking yeah. jacked and I don't uh, have a problem with deadlifting. Yeah, true. You Thomas has a lot more muscle and, and he's a lot better <laughs> at it than I am. <laughs> I've I found there's definitely a, a weight at which I'm too heavy to deadlift comfortably, uh, and it definitely takes a backseat to squatting really heavy. But having been more of an equipped powerlifter than I was a raw powerlifter, being really fat and sloppy actually was super effective. As a skinny guy, it's just so hard to imagine ever feeling stronger in the squat. Like I'm like, what the like, so unrelatable. Yeah, there's definitely a point at which your belly bouncing off your knees helps. Um, so the last one is, uh, what's sort of one, one piece of advice, you know, parting advice that you could, you could give someone new to the lifting realm. And I think from your point of view, it'd be useful to ask for a piece of lifting advice for like the average person walking to a gym, but also the average perhaps personal trainer who is maybe new to the industry in a way that you have been in the past, but perhaps are more experienced about now. Don't have toxic white belt mentality because if you're honestly a smart person and you're an honest person and you're an observant person, you're going to see things that a lot of people have missed in the fitness industry because reality is a lot of people that get into fitness just aren't geniuses. They're just a lot of failed athletes. So like have some confidence in your own ideas. You want to ask people for advice, but you also want to just don't listen to everything they say because you're going to run into some lunatics. And this is that toxic white belt mentality where a lot of new trainers, they're too oh, I know nothing, I know nothing, I don't want to be the Dunning-Kruger guy. But it's like, like I said, just find a way to find that sweet spot where you don't end up just that toxic white belt where you just end up having no opinions of your own and you just you end up just believing in a bunch of shit that deep down you know isn't true because you haven't actually observed it. You just got told it. Love it. It hangs around for so long as well. All right. Angus Bradley, yeah. thank you so much. Go check him out uh, and we'll see you guys next time.